So I just think if we can minimize the time we spend in that question mark, lack of confidence, self-doubt mode, and just kind of swing ourselves back using something like the achievement list, uh, it helps because all success continues to build upon that. And again, people, like we, we, humans will much faster rise to the occasion from the expectation of their peers than anything else they could possibly do. From ProfitWell Recur, it's Protect the Hustle, a show about those in the trenches actually doing the work. I'm Patrick Campbell. And I'm Neil Desai. And on today's show, how chief instigator Dan Martell went from run-ins with the law to serial success by leveraging the power of authentic relationships. When you first start a company, people ask you, what is going to be the number one barrier to your success? And oftentimes, a first-time founder, especially like myself back in the day, you think it's going to be the product, the marketing, the sales, the operations, something crazy happening, fundraising. There's, There's going to be a whole host of things. In actuality, what you very, very quickly learn is that your greatest successes and your greatest failures all revolve around people. And we've heard this time and time again from many, many guests that we've interviewed. On some level, there's always some aspect of people But you truly don't realize how important people are until you try to basically push some sort of goal forward, whether it's a company, a nonprofit, some sort of political initiative, or or anything in between. I think what's interesting is beyond just people helping you with specific tasks, people give you context, right? They give you perspective and a different take on the way you see things. And that's an important nuance point because essentially what's happening is People do help you actually get stuff done because we're only one human being and you know we have the same time as everyone else. And even if we maximize everything Elon Musk style, you still can't you know build a car company or a space company based on just one human being. But the nuance point is, is what you started to point out there, which is people give you context, but also provides you a community to lessen the things that are happening, either through helping you through those particular pieces that are terrible, or basically by telling you it's going to be okay, and they faced this before, and it feels terrible now, but it's going to be better. So are you saying it takes a village to start a business? I am not referencing whichever you know old school education professor or Hillary Clinton, I believe, who said that a lot. But yeah, that's essentially what's happening. And I think that the larger point is that community mitigates adversity. Essentially, you have so much adversity, whether it's intentional, unintentional when you're building a company because you're literally taking nothing and creating something, or you have something and you're trying to make it into something big. And as you get more people, it becomes more multifaceted, which becomes more complicated and you get less control and the kind of community of your company takes over. Sure. And what I'm most excited about is talking to Dan Martell today. He's perfect. Because Dan Martell is perfect for the concept of people, community, and, and kind of everything in between. He's an extremely successful SaaS founder. He's founded, I mean, too many companies. He's going to go through it. But in addition to that, there's no one that embodies the sense of community and people more than Dan Martell. And and what's kind of fascinating about it, he embodies it to such an extent that when I first started hanging out with Dan, I I thought it was fake. I actually thought it was inauthentic because he's so nice. He's so helpful. And yes, he wants to build a business and, you know, he has intentions when he wants to build a business. But this is someone who genuinely pushes community forward, not in like a foo-foo, like free love sort of way, but very much into a, hey, this is going to help me be successful way and you should follow this playbook too. So I, I know Dan a little bit from his content, but let's jump in and hear from him personally. Yeah, definitely. And pay careful attention to how his early interactions with the law and actually going to prison 
really shaped his future in the world of not only technology, but also having this community centricity. years ago I started sharing my story just because it, it really shaped who I became you know I think looking back you can connect the dots and you know I grew up in a really challenging environment as a teenager ended up uh, my mom's an alcoholic and my dad was in sales so wasn't home a whole lot and you know ended up spending too much time with guys twice my age teaching me stuff I probably shouldn't have been learning as a teenager and by the time I was 17 I ended up in jail twice you know just super angry you know depression challenges and it was uh, a moment where I almost took my life in a high-speed chase that uh, I was alive the next day and realized somebody must have been looking out for me. And after going to, uh, to adult jail for the severity of my crimes for nine months and then ended up 11 months in rehab, it was at the end of that that I discovered this yellow book on Java programming. And uh, yeah, this uh, maintenance guy named Rick was uh, asked me to clean out one of the cabins. It was an old church camp and they had a 486 computer and I booted it up and tap, tap, tap. And the thing said, hello world. And it just, it literally became my new addiction. And entrepreneurship shortly after became the ultimate personal development program. I feel blessed to be here, man. Do you feel like you needed an addiction in your life? I mean, I, I am. T I still have that today. Like, I don't play yeah. video games for that reason. Yeah. I, you know, I'm very careful what I say yes to. Just, just because I'm the kind of guy, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs and Type A people are like this. It's like when we find stuff that we love to do. Yeah, I can. I can hyper focus, but I also struggle with ADHD. So it's like this weird dichotomy of pushing on the world to change when it doesn't want to, and being okay with that. To struggling every day to make sure that I actually am productive and I produce because left to my own device, I think I would I would be a very unproductive person. So a lot of routine and rituals just to make that happen. Totally. And, and when you're looking at so started some programming. What was, was there like a first job where you worked for someone or no. did you jump right into trying to build yeah, something so yourself? Yeah, so I mean, my dad always joked that he wished I found something that I was passionate about that wasn't illegal for many years. So when I, when I, when I told him about, you know, programming, he was clearly excited. Uh, and his rule was as long as I consumed the book, he would, there was an unlimited budget. So in the first 12 months, he spent probably $3,000 reading every book at the local bookstore on database design, HTML programming, uh, UX. Uh, I mean, I, every pro, I mean, some people don't remember Cold Fusion, like back in the wow. day, like I learned it all. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, Perl scripting and, and the internet really, this is 96, 97. And I mean, I, my first app I ever built was in VB3. And it was, uh, it was a way for friends to build CDs that I would burn on my burner without them being on my computer. Like it would actually like synchronize using FTP. So I, I've always had the entrepreneurial gene. I just didn't use it for anything good until I discovered computers. No, that's awesome. You're more of an OG than I thought. I mean, yeah. that's, that's one Old of those school. things. Yeah. yeah. What was like that first product that you tried to start selling? Yeah, I mean, so the first thing that I, you know, I called the first incorporation because we all have, you know, I always ask people how many domains did they buy yeah, for yeah, ideas, yeah. projects. You know, I, I feel I feel blessed. I mean, I've been doing it now for 20 years. I've started five companies, three were successfully exited, uh, two venture backed, and I had the extreme privilege of investing in over 40 companies as an angel investor like Intercom and Udemy and unbounce and get around and just incredible founders. But the first thing I ever built was Maritime Vacation because my dad had a cottage and he wanted to rent it. And, you know, he's trying to, I would, I'd be hanging out with him. He's just always answering his phone, answering the same 15 questions about, is it available? Do you allow pets? You know, what does it look like? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, dad, you know, this thing called the internet you might want to use. 
and I'd convince him to pay me. I, I overpriced the hosting that I charged him to really fund the, the development and the infrastructure I was going to need to actually build. And that was built in Cold Fusion. And that became MaritimeVacation.ca. I mean, early Airbnb-esque, VRBO type company. Was it I, just for that property? or you Well, that was my problem is I called it Maritime Vacation. So like it's this small part in Eastern Canada, .ca. So I mean, it's, it's always funny, like the, so many great lessons. So I did it for a year and a half. I wasn't passionate about it. It wasn't my problem I had. Obviously, I, I cared about you know solving it for my dad, but it failed because the guy with atthecottage.com in Ontario clearly had a bigger vision for what it could have been. And I think that's just important as an entrepreneur to say like plan to be successful sometimes because I think that you know there's these quick decisions that you make in the early days that uh, make you know spending a little bit more time on a vision. Uh, could actually save you quite a bit of time in the future. So after that, you had a couple of nice like. Then nice I did hits. a hosting company, yeah. NB Host, which was a uh, actual big failure. So the first two companies were complete failures. I just got them out of my way by the time I was like 24. We all have that. You got to yeah, get it out. Just yeah. get them done. I just yeah. tell people start, learn, move yeah. on, and it'll get there. What were the hits? What so did Sphere well? Technologies. I started when I was 24. It was an enterprise portal company. We specialized on Fortune 500. No good reason other than. I had a job for six months. Uh, that was the only job I've ever had. And they, they trained me on this technology and I did sales engineering for them. So when I decided to start my own company, I figured I'll sell the same types of customers. I mean, it was just such a growth curve. The reason why my first two companies failed is because I was more of an introverted tech guy and didn't realize I needed a team, didn't need to, didn't understand how to communicate. Selling was a big thing. So um, when I started Spheric, I uh, took my life savings at that point with $70,000 I'd saved up consulting, hired three guys, and then bought a ton of books on sales. And so we're talking the early Zig Ziglar's and uh, Jeffrey Gittimer, A Little Red Book of Selling, uh, Chet Holmes, The Ultimate Sales Machine. And, and these are on CD. And I would just like drive around burning gas listening to, because I wouldn't have listened to the books otherwise. I knew myself. And it was, it was such a journey. I mean, I almost went bankrupt two years in thinking, here I go again. You know, I had a dozen people doing a million and a half in sales and thought, geez, you know, I'm going to fail. And I had mentors show up my life and, you know, kind of like guys when I was a teenager that showed up and believed in me when I didn't see it in myself. I had guys in the business sense and it took me that long. I mean, almost nine years to finally realize like having mentors was a really good idea. And uh, I owe it all to a guy named Jerry Pond. You know, he's, he's an OG in our community. And at the time he was like 72 and cold email turned into a coffee, turned into meeting him at his board room with all his partners. And you know, they, they showed me what was possible. Yeah, it was really, really neat, neat time in life. I don't know if Clarity was right after that. No, Maybe then Clarity. I did Flowtown. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but that kind of influenced Clarity at some point. I yeah? mean, like, you know what's influenced me is just the power of people. Somebody asked me that a couple days ago. They said, like, how do you think of, like, the value of relationships as an entrepreneur? And, and I've always looked at my life not as a linear growth curve, but really step functions of growth, right? So, like... And when I look at those step functions, there was a person involved. Like there was some conversation that inspired me. There was some new information that I learned. There was some realization that you got exposed to. And I mean, so after Spheric, uh, you know, I built it to a three million a year company, sold it in 2008 before the crash and decided to move to San Francisco to see if all this crazy things that 
I was hearing online were actually true about the Valley, and it turns out it is, right? It's Disneyland for tech entrepreneurs. And, you know, I just got lucky to meet some really incredible founders like Heaton Shaw and Dave McClure and Travis Kalanick and all these, like, that, that co Eric Reese before he was the lean startup. That was my cohort in 2008. And uh, those people had an incredible impact on my, my life. So Flowtown was after that. That was my first uh, funded company that I started. That was a crazy ride, two and a half years, 50,000 customers. Um, sold that to uh, Demand Force. Two months later, got bought by Intuit for 500 million. So that was a really great acceleration of equity. And then Clarity. And Clarity was really just this network I thought should exist to allow people to pay to talk to other people over the phone to get advice because I was, I remember just sitting on the top of my condo building in San Francisco overlooking this city and just asking myself, like, what's the concentration of incredible human capital in this city? And if you're in technology, it's probably one of the highest in the world, yet it's not accessible to any person. You need to network, you need to be here, you need to create value. Uh, what if there was a way to unlock that? And that was the vision for Clarity. Wow. There's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, and he kind of glossed over that whole tried to take my own life in a high-speed chase thing. I don't mean I'm laughing nervously at it. I'm not laughing at it. But I think the one thing I've learned with Dan is that he is, like, he's oddly spiritual. I don't know if he's religious, but I think, like, all of these things have, have shaped him so much, and they've just become part of his DNA that I really appreciate. He's so open about talking about them, right? Like, he's so open that it almost was so nonchalant that right. he was in prison and, you know, did all these different things. And I think that that then shaped him so much and he, he kind of vectored into being all about people. Mm -hmm. He kind of vectored into going back to people with clarity and these other things. And I think that he finally had some people in his life really, really help him kind of push things forward and support him in this whole concept of like community mitigating that adversity that he clearly went to early in life. Right. It's interesting him looking back at like specific inflection points where meeting someone or having a conversation with them drastically changed the direction of his life. Right. And, yeah. and after the whole prison part, uh, you know, he learned how to code, he started a company, failed a couple of times, and then it was off to the races. And then he kind of circled back on it, as I was saying with, you know, Hey, how do I help right. more entrepreneurs and, and this cohort of people that I was in a cohort that's just, Extremely successful. Yep. Um, you know, Travis, Heaton, these other folks. I think what's what's kind of interesting, though, is I'm always fascinated at people. So, you know, personally, I've had, I haven't gone to prison, mm -hmm. but I have, yet. Uh, yeah, oh, Jesus, Neil. No, but I have, I, I have gone through some pretty tough adversity, you know, with my childhood and stuff like that. And, you know, it's not the forum to kind of go through this. But I, what I will say is that when I meet people who have gone through and, and Dan didn't get, go deep into his family dynamics, which, you know, is a little bit similar to my family dynamics growing up. But when, when you meet these types of people, it's always interesting when they kind of come out the other side, like understanding the why, like why, why did you turn around versus, you know, continuing to be addicted, continuing to, you know, kind of take your life into mm -hmm. one particular direction. And I actually asked Dan this very specifically because I think it's a really, really powerful answer and it's one of those things that I think is really important as all of us listening or watching to understand is that if, if you're not, if you're not the Dan, you should be the other person. Right. So let's kick it over to Dan to learn more. I hear a lot of like pay it forward and a lot of the things that you're doing. So there's a lot of pay it forward in the, the nonprofit stuff, what I want to ask you about in a second. There's a lot of pay it forward in like the networking stuff and even like the pay it forward in the coaching, right? Is that something, do you see that too? Is that something that drives you or is it not? Dude, I'll, yeah. I'll, be, I'll be honest, man. Like 
I was four months in jail and got through, thrown in the, the hole, solitary confinement. And on the third day, this guy, his guard named Brian, opened the door and asked me to follow him. And at 17 years old, he sat me down in the guard unit, which I'd never been in in the, the months I'd been there. And he just asked me what I was doing there. And I said, well, you know, high-speed chase and all this stuff. He said, what are you doing here in jail? And I said, I don't understand. He goes, I see you out there trying to do your homework and stay out of the trouble. And I just want you to know you don't belong here. At 17, that was the first time anybody had ever said that to me. I don't know, man. Maybe it's for Brian. Maybe it's for Jerry Pond. Maybe it's for the Heat and Shaws. I'm a byproduct of the community for sure, and I just I just feel super blessed. So yeah. I, many times I actually feel like I'm not doing enough. Yeah, you know. That's awesome. And I and I and I also feel I'm just getting started, man. Like I'm gonna be building companies until they they pull the plug. Like that's just who I am. So you so you do a lot of stuff for at risk youth. Yeah. Like tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. Ever since I got out of Portage, I've, I've been a big part of their fundraising effort. I, I go and visit three or four times a year and talk to the cohort of kids. I mean, the, the challenge if you have anybody with addiction in, in, in your life and they get sober is, you know, their biggest fear is just having a pretty vanilla plain life, you know, and my life looks nothing yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I really enjoy going and talking to kids and sharing my real story with them and the challenges I went through in my journey. And, and, and honestly, I think that if anybody's poised to build businesses, it's these kids because they're so resourceful, so creative, so tenacious and have nothing to lose. So my rule is if you get out and you stay sober, come see me and I'll help you create the most incredible business you've ever seen. And that's just like on me. Like it's just a done deal. You show up, do the work, it's going to happen. So that's a big part. I just, I, I want to help them create confidence through creating businesses I think most kids think they're broken and it's it's I think people that have gone through the most have the most to give and these kids definitely have gone through some crazy stuff worse than I'll ever experience or can understand and I didn't have somebody like me that showed up to tell a story I had people that read books and had degrees and try to give me counseling and I knew you know especially as an entrepreneur I, I resonate and, and, and connect more with the founder who's been there giving me advice than some guy that just you know and that's where I, I find a lot of fun in my coaching because a lot of personal stories. That's some powerful stuff. Yeah, 100%. And and what I take away from that is you're either a Dan or you're a Brian, right? And if you're if you're a Dan, hopefully you can find a Brian. Hopefully you can find someone to actually really, really help you. But I think that there's, there's a lot more Brians out there than Dans, thankfully. And if you're a Brian, you should go seek out your Dan. I know it's a weird kind of way to, to make that into a metaphor, but I, but I think that's really, really powerful. And and, and thankfully, it doesn't have to always be, you know, this intense, right? Like, you don't have to find a Dan that is, you know, in prison or, or something like that going on. But finding finding someone that you can help, an early stage entrepreneur, someone who's early in product, someone, you know, who isn't necessarily as far along as you are, I think that's that's the really, really powerful thing. And this is where, you know, people are so important is that, again, it's not always as dramatic as, as Dan's story, but it is one of those things that people are so central to success. And that help that you will give that particular Dan or whomever is going to come back tenfold, especially as you surround yourself with other people who can help you as well. 
Right. I, th- I think this is evident by not only Dan's ventures, but just how he thinks about going about life, right? Yeah. The, the communities are part of, the entrepreneurs he invests in, coaches, etc. Uh, this has clearly impacted Dan so much that it's, it's, it's uh, sort of taken over how he approaches other people. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's one of those things where success is basically people. Yeah. And I think that when you're building something, anything large or anything great... Like it's going to involve more than one person as we kind of talked about previously. But I think the big thing is, is just making one of your core values or principles about people. And you might not be the most charismatic person. You might not be the most outgoing. I'm ironically an introvert. People don't realize that, but it's one of those things that you still have to push yourself and find those mediums that make sense. And what I'm excited about for for the rest of the, the time here is actually going through some of the practical advice that Dan has to be more people centric, especially out in the community. So you can build your own community and kind of find that tribe that you have. This was really interesting for me because it's so easy to come off as inauthentic these days, right? With the growth hacks and networking and going to events. I actually just stopped going to events altogether because I couldn't take it. But I I found it interesting how Dan can bring that authentic desire to help others and and still do it in an impactful way. Yeah, 100%. And let's talk about that after this next clip or so because I I think it's an interesting discussion on we've clearly established it's worth it. But how do you maintain that authenticity and how do you find that particular group, especially in a world where there's, you know, a lot of charlatans that are out there? But let's kick it over to Dan to get some practical nature on, you know, success actually being those people. What's that process for helping someone, you know, look at this? I feel like the first step is is you just have to value people and realize how you powerful have to be people curious. can be. Yeah, and I think you just need to care. I mean, I'm just lucky. I, you know, when I was starting my my third company, Spheric, and decided that reading books was a good idea, other than technical books, one of the early books I read was called Love is a Killer App, which most people have never heard. Tim, yeah, Tim Sanders is the author, and he was the ex-COO of Yahoo, and it was called Killer App, which I was technical, so I, I got the reference and I mean it couldn't have been a better book for me to read as the first book and I didn't even read it I listened to it on CD because that's how you know my ADHD that's how little I read and it was an argument for being a good person which which in business I think a lot of people have never started business they think entrepreneurs are, are evil which is crazy that you should collect knowledge for your customers so you consume and read books and that uh, your network is, or your network is your net worth right I don't like that concept but just really putting a on the value of relationships. And then I read Keith Ferrazzi's book, uh, Never Eat Alone, and that was that was it. So I've now hosted easily 2,000 plus founder lunches, dinners, and breakfasts. 2,000? Easily, yeah. Yeah, yeah. When I travel, I'll, I'll sometimes do three a day. Holy cow. Yeah, because it's just this really incredible leverage way of just like having people, especially like yourself that puts out content, you've got all these inbounds. I just say, well, are you free for breakfast, lunch, or dinner? And uh, yeah, two days ago, I just like had eight strangers I never met, founders, and invited them out for dinner, and we had an incredible conversation. And you can never figure out where the, like why you do it. I just know that A, um, I wanna help other people as much as I can, and B, you can achieve anything if you help enough people achieve what they're looking for, right? Somebody, I forget who quoted that, but I mean, raising money for Mark Cuban was a relationship with a guy named Alex Bard that came from a meal. Um, Getting invited to hang out with Richard Branson for a week was a byproduct four years after the fact from a dinner I hosted in San Francisco from a guy that I guess impacted his life, was friends with Richard and and thought enough to invite me when he got the invite. I mean, it's it's, uh, meeting my wife, Renee, was a byproduct of... That's cool. Yeah, like, I mean, if it's your team, it's a people thing. And if it's life, you know, success is a byproduct of how 
how much value you create for other people. And what's the, if someone's kind of starting out, because like we all have networks, right? And if we get a little tactical, how do you start building that network? Yeah, I think the first thing is uh, ask yourself if your current relationships are supporting your past or your future. Because I think a lot of people still spend too much time with folks that they went to high school with, partying on weekends and doing barbecues with, with, with friends that unfortunately just don't see the world the way they do and, and, and can't really share in that vision or excitement for what's possible because that's not their reality. So I think that's just first thing is realizing you need to spend more time that's gonna, with people to support your future. Uh, I like the meal concept because it takes the pressure off, especially if you have you know five other people there. You don't have to carry a conversation one-on-one. If you want to make it even easier on yourself, find somebody else that might be a little bit more outgoing that's known in your community and ask to co-host the dinner with them. And it, and, and it could be a lunch to make it even easier. So it's a lunch, you create a theme, you invite each two other people, that's six total. Six is a good number because you have one conversation and just see how it goes. And if you enjoy it, do it once a month, you know, and just try to invite new people and slowly but surely um, you become the, the nucleus, right? You, the, the people use the word connector, but it's really just, you're the person that takes a little extra time to invite folks, especially when we're at a conference. Like, do you know, like the, 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 the lack of invites I got from other founders, from the speakers, like I got some, but I just assume like everybody would do it because it's just such a low hanging fruit. If you're speaking in a city that's not your native country or city, there's probably a good chance you have some open windows. And if somebody reaches out and says, I'm going to host this dinner for you, that you're going to say yes. But it's, it's still not something that's widely leveraged or used. So I get this in theory, right? And, and I, I totally agree with Dan, especially on like the one-on-one side of, of building relationships. But I struggle with this too because, uh, you know, I don't speak much. I don't get out there uh, nearly as much you as speak Dan. speak a lot. <laughs> you speak so much. Uh, so, so like how does this apply to me, right? Because I've just stopped going to SaaS events now. I can't stand them. Why can't you stand them? Because like honestly, most of them are brands of virtue signaling or creating hype or demoing products I don't want, like it, it, meetups that are self-intended. Like I just, I, I this you know kind of funny is I think that's part of the problem with SaaS events, like B2B SaaS events mm-hmm. particularly is that technically everyone in the room can sell to everyone else. So it's just like sales, 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 sales right? Like everyone's in blazers kind of hanging out. When you go to other events, uh, you know, we go to subscription e-commerce events. We've been to some media events. They're dramatically different because everyone is is not com- – it's not even at SaaS com- events that they're competitive, but especially there they're not competitive because they're all selling to like a wide market of consumers or they're selling something really in particular like a makeup box versus a dog box, right? And so it's one of those things that those conferences are actually – I love going to those conferences, subscription e-commerce, media, et cetera, because – Everyone's just trying to help each other. And so to answer your question, I think that, I think this is helpful for you because remember the core, right? Like some of the practical advice he was giving was, hey, if you travel a lot, you go to conferences, these types of things. But your version of that is going to be different, right? You do, you know, product meetups with some of your peers over at Drift and some of the other companies that they're at. You do that pretty consistently. Some of the folks that you graduated with, that that's the same thing, right? And I think what you could probably do is, kind of scale those one-to-one relationships a little bit more and not go like full conference, but maybe you, you know, meet up with, Hey, I'm, I'm coming into town. I'm, I'm going on vacation to San Diego or something like that. 
the day before I'm, I'm going to organize and, and just have some coffee dates. Right. And that might work better for you because, you know, you don't want to go to the big, you know, conference and these types of things, or what you can do is also, you know, even online. Right. I think that there's a lot of people who use the excuse of, Hey, I have social anxiety of not actually being out there. And, and I get that. But it also comes down to like building those one-on-one relationships. And for Dan, it's just a one-to-many, one-to-scalable type of way. And he does a lot of one-to-one relationships as well. What I worry about is the authenticity aspect. Because I think that even though Dan is super authentic, remember what I mentioned before, which is when I first met him, I was like, ah, there's an angle here. And, and, And Dan has an angle ultimately because... You know, his view is basically that eventually this is all going to wash out mm-hmm. and it's going to help him not only from giving him perspective and context, but also helping him with his business. But there's there's a pure core there, which I think is like underappreciated because there's plenty of people who network basically for utility. I remember when I was living in D.C. and I worked in D.C., basically we'd go to the bar and it was like, oh, who do you work for? And when you named who you work for, if it was useful, that person they keep talking, if they won't, they would literally just walk away, Right. And so I think there's that authenticity and that organic nature and all Dan is doing is putting a little bit of like a framework around it, a little bit of a system around it that fits to his style and his needs and his schedule. And I think you can do the exact same thing on a practical basis to basically scale those relationships and then make sure you're fostering those relationships in the long term. I, th- I think that makes sense. I think uh, especially in the tech world, we get caught up with like having a personal CRM and like sure. optimizing, optimizing, optimizing. But yeah. uh, totally, I think for me, having peers that are a couple years ahead of me at other companies and a couple years uh, below me um, has been really, really valuable in like not only learning from others, but teaching others too, because I think that's when it solidifies things. One of the most high impact things that I did, and I didn't do this intentionally, um, it, it just kind of fell into it. I became friends with the Litmus guys, the Wistia guys, and the Help Scout guys. These were all folks that were a few years ahead of me uh, or in terms of our trajectory. And it, it was so helpful, particularly because you know we had kind of a crazy founding story um, which we'll maybe talk about in a B-side episode at some point. But it was one of those situations where it was so helpful just to learn from them. So I think you doing that is really, really helpful because when you come up with, oh, I'm dealing with this, I'm dealing with that, whether it's a really practical thing or more of an existential crisis, you have that particular group to kind of go to. Do you have like mentors? Yes. I, I think what's interesting is uh, over the years, like the the scope of our conversations have changed, right? So it went from like, college applications to picking a career to all right now that I have a job how do I maximize it to even you know how do how do you become an adult some are more structured than others um and and but ironically most of them have like I've stumbled into those relationships yeah absolutely uh, because of other activities so um absolutely yeah what about you I think that's an important I do as well and I think that's that's the important point which you point out is it's an organic activity it's one of those things where I, I think if you try to make it too formulaic um, what ends up happening is people can see through that. Yeah. Cool. So let's kick it back to Dan to learn a little bit more about the practicality of this, right? Because everything from who pays for these to, to how do you manage the information without like, a huge system around it. And ultimately, how do you stay authentic as you go about this process, right? Because I don't have ADHD like Dan, but I always like chasing the new shiny object. So uh, I, I want to hear from Dan how he actually, you know, actually goes about doing this. You know, valuing people is the first thing and realizing like the value that's there, two-way street, right? In addition to that, you know, being some sort of practical, like trying to execute on this and just, you know, making it a priority. But 
How do you then foster those? Do you foster those relationships at I, all? I, I love the I love the organic. I don't force it. I think you you just naturally gravitate towards some people and other people you just can't connect with, and you just let it let it be. I find people that are too tactical or people that shake your hand. They're like, who do you need to meet? And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah and uh, oh, okay, and they write. It's just like yeah. it's not me. So I, I at most I have a sit, I have a list with each city in the world, sure. and if we meet and I liked you, I put you on the list so that at least I know next time I go there, there's a person I thought enough to put an email next to and uh, I use Facebook most people don't know you can search who lives in in a city name so you can even look at your Facebook connections of who live in those cities but for the most part I don't uh, I don't make it too tactical except when I'm trying to build a network in an industry so when I was uh, you know new to Flowtown I met Sean Ellis he you know back then we called it metric space marketing it eventually became growth hackers but in the marketing side I strategically organize uh, dinners around marketing right Uh, with clarity I organize marketplace dinners so there was a lot of cold emails out to founders but it's surprising if you email them and they're in the space and you're organizing a theme dinner they don't get a whole lot of those invites and everybody's got to eat anyway Um, I'd say it was like a 90% show up rate you know and it was just a really great way for me to connect with folks that were further along again supporting my future to talk to to people like uh, Miha from Fiverr.com about how to build networks right marketplaces yeah so um, that's a little bit more tactical, but I think back to your point, you gotta, you gotta be curious. I think that's the thing that I really, I really find everybody's got a story and everybody's got something they're passionate about. And, and when you find that out, it's like the most exciting thing ever. And, um, I naturally just want to help people if, it, if I can. And typically the highest currency I can use is an introduction to somebody that can solve a big problem for them, especially if I don't have any experience in that space. Um, it's, it's doesn't cost me anything and can be really valuable for both parties. That's cool. Super selfish, tactical question. Are, do you pay for these dinners? Yeah, so... Or is it more like whoever reaches for the check kind of a thing? Or? Yeah, the, the funny part is if, if you do invite people that are further along, they don't. So I've done all of the above. I've organized 100-person dinners where everybody paid 75 bucks to go and I was highly curated. I've, I have done 16-person uh, more evolved dinners and I and I had my, my lawyer come. He wanted to come and he paid for it. If it's a bunch of up and coming entrepreneurs, I'll usually pick up the check just as a, you know, uh, an honor of how it should be. I always say, who's the youngest person in business? You're the most important person at this meal. Everybody else, let's support that person. I always do that. Whoever's furthest along should pick it up. Yeah, Yeah, no, I like that too. I I just, one thing I I don't want to do is make anybody feel like they owe anybody. So I do usually say we're all going Dutch. And then if for some reason somebody feels inspired, they can do it. I've, you know, I say I don't, but I do. I did it the other night. So I'd be lying if I said I don't. But um, I don't think that should be a reason people don't do it. And I feel like that might be. And, and I think just saying in the email invite or in the calendar invite that everybody's going Dutch, don't pick a crazy expensive place. Just pick a really good, yeah. fun place. And I like to do them at the same places all the time. So in my hometown, I do it at the same restaurant. Yeah. And it's just funner that way. The owner absolutely appreciate it. There's a narrative. There's a story behind it. Um, you get to know the waitresses. And they, they love to introduce, you know, meet your new friends. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. Where do you go in Boston? I, I don't go to Boston enough. But that's a great example of just like, hey, Patrick, let's co-host a dinner. Totally. You know, you invite a couple people, I'll invite a couple people. This is the theme. And, and, and I don't have to pick this place because you know the city the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do that a lot and it's funner that way. And um, I just think, again, my life uh, has had incredible people show up and it seems to be just the right time. Cool. And I think it's definitely a byproduct of trying to just 
put out as much value as I can. Does this ever give you, I know you mentioned you actually, you know, struggle with ADD, but like, does this ever give you like, you know, you want to chase everything? Because you're meeting so many people with so many cool ideas. I know you're doing a, like a ton of coaching right now and you have SAS Academy. I don't know if you ever want to go like back into, you know, building a big company or something like that. You know, that's where the investing came. I've been investing as an angel investor for over 12 years. Yeah. yeah. And, and it was just a byproduct of meeting these great founders and wanting to be helpful, but a little bit more aligned in their success and outcome. I think I've gotten good at it. I think what happens is with, with you know, I've been doing this for 20 years, which is a long time. And uh, you kind of realize that shiny object is actually not always the best thing to do. Like you, you, you do it long enough, you realize like, oh, actually focus, you know, masterful execution will always beat the next shiny marketing, next shiny business model, next shiny industry. But that being said, I owned a Bitcoin machine uh, four years ago, an ATM machine. I've invested in drone navigation. So, so like, I definitely see the things coming and try to find the founders that are executing it to inform me. Um, but I don't feel like I need to jump into it. And, and the future for me is I'm having so much fun coaching what I consider the next generation of SaaS founders. I don't need to be the guy that creates it from zero. And it'll probably more of me either, and, and I've done this privately, we haven't really announced anything with a few founders and putting together search funds where I, I'm an, an LP in their fund to buy other assets. So I think that'll probably be my, my future. But for right now, man, it's just my kids coaching and then I do a lot of uh, work with At Risk Youth. All right, so I get the practicality of this, right? But I, what what's interesting is that there's a really big emotional piece of this as well because you're putting yourself out there, right? You, you build this community. Uh, you're going to be afraid to fail a little bit, right? Because you're going to be vulnerable. Sure, and I think, but the vulnerability, I think what Dan, Dan has been getting at and, and not necessarily in this last clip, but... He, he's getting at that Dan is so out there. I don't know necessarily if he's like fully transparent necessarily, kind of like some of these like very transparent folks out there, but he's out there with, hey, I've been to prison, tried to kill myself through a high-speed chase. I've been in solitary confinement. I had these failures. I've had these successes. He's put so much out there that it's almost like, hey, this is me. Like accept me for me or let's call it a day, right? And I think that there's there's a certain freedom in that. And as someone who has like a bit of social anxiety, like I've never been diagnosed, but there's a reason like I like to speak in the mornings when I go to conferences because everyone will like come to me who wants to talk to me. I think there's like something special there of being okay to be vulnerable and be confident and, you know, essentially comfortable in your own skin. And I think that that's a big thing that I've had to learn in my life. And, and thankfully, ProfitWell has been a huge aspect of that, of getting secure in myself and, and basically overcoming some of that anxiety when it comes to other people judging you. Because people are going to judge you either way. Right. They're going to judge you whether you think they're judging you or not. And in addition to that, it's one of those things that we all realize that we're in the same boat. Like, I'm further along in my career than you. I know you're going to fail at your point in your career because I failed at that point. You're going to overall succeed because I know that's there and I'm going to help you. And you're going to know that I'm going to fail. And so when I fail, you're going to give me a little bit of like, I know it's hard. And when you fail, I'm going to be like, yep, I know it's hard, but Neil, you better fix it. No, stuff like that. But that's, that's kind of what I mean is like there's, there's some beauty and there's some freedom in being that vulnerable, right? And it's that, you know, everyone kind of talks about this in different books, extreme ownership. Gary Vee talks about this. There's so many people who talk about this because it's such a central thing to humanity. And there's so many of us in our careers that never learn that it's okay to be insecure. It's okay to be vulnerable because everyone else is vulnerable and insecure on some level. And that doesn't mean you can't be confident. doesn't mean you can't be competitive. It doesn't mean you can't think, hey, we're going to take over the world. 
but it does mean that you have to surround yourself with the right people to kind of put you in check or also kind of build you up when you're being a little bit too down on yourself. I'm sure that's even more important now than ever in a world where like everyone's trying to be a thought leader and an expert and a domain expert. Like. Yeah. And that's where I think there's, there's ironically a weird, I'm kind of coming around to my kind of what I started this episode with. Like there's a weird like authenticity to Dan because he's consistent. That's why it's kind of interesting. He's like, he's on no level, you know, as, as out there as like a Gary V. Right. But the thing that, that I find interesting about Gary V is that he hasn't changed in what his views are and what he's saying. Like he's remained consistent in his tactics. I mean, it can be obnoxious if you watch too much or read too much, but it's one of those things where I think Dan is, is just an authentic, consistent person. And so maybe initially you're kind of like, oh, what's this guy's angle? That's my little bit of East Coast coming out of me. But then all of a sudden, like over time, you're like, no, I've seen this enough times and he's spoken about this enough times and he's you know, shown that he actually cares about the things, these things and he follows through, which I think is a really important thing. And therefore, like, I can trust him with being vulnerable on some particular level. And what I just described is literally building relationships. And if you don't get out there in the medium that is good for you, online, Zoom, in-person, conferences, dinners, et cetera, there's no way you can build that relationship with different individuals, let alone enough people to build that community that you actually have. But I think Dan has some really good advice on this because it, it ultimately does come back to that psyche, that emotion that you have. And I'd love for him to kind of close this out by talking to us about this, about not only being vulnerable and being comfortable with that, but also making sure you're surrounding yourself with the right type of people. Because that's a thing I think we don't think about enough, which is it's not just people, it's the right type of people. I know you said you're a product of your community. I'm sure given your background, there's a lot of self-doubt. And then there's also probably a lot of like, actual doubt that's kind of thrust on you like oh you're never going to figure this out like either addiction or like once you you know were you know out of jail like that kind of stuff and then even failing as an entrepreneur like all of a sudden it's hard to like manage that self-doubt as someone who has like that addictive personality ADD the types of things like how do you manage that I think it's, you know, what I always tell founders is we, we need to remind ourselves the journey we've been on, right? So oftentimes, and I have this process called the achievement list, and it's, it's fairly straightforward. It's just making a list of all your achievements that you're proud of and, and don't, you know, discount how small they might be. Because I think there's these moments in life, where, you know, let's say it's a, an investor meeting or key hire or a partner conversation or a conference call with a new customer potential. You cannot go into that meeting without your confidence being high because it's that enthusiasm and that, that belief in the confidence of what you're doing that is what's going to get the opportunity done. Nobody's 100% confident, but if we can spend less time when I call the entrepreneurial pendulum from question mark, like, what am I doing with my life? I'm going to fail again. You know, this is the end of the world to exclamation mark, which is I'm going to take over the world. I can't believe how easy this is. Why has nobody seen this before? This is amazing. You know, the unfortunate part is entrepreneurs swing between that, you know, a couple times a week and sometimes a couple times a day. You know, you wake up in the morning, boom, you get the email, big customer release. And then two hours later, key employee quits on you. And the afternoon you close another big deal. And it's just, so I just think if we can minimize the time we spend in that question mark, lack of confidence, self-doubt mode, and just kind of swing ourselves back using something like the achievement list, uh, it helps because all success continues to build upon that. And again, people, like we, we, humans will much faster rise to the occasion from the expectation of their peers than anything else they could possibly do. 
Like if you're in a group of people, we're just, we're, we're communal folks. And if you're around other folks that think way bigger than you, it'll take you a week at most to kind of start questioning, why am I thinking so small? These people are no, no smarter than me. I just clearly I'm missing something and I got to figure it out. So I just think that, um, self-doubt's always going to be present, especially if you're trying to do and change and create stuff new in the world. But if you can look back on that journey, it's like halfway up that mountain, instead of looking at the peak and thinking, man, I got to go another 10,000 feet, stopping and looking back and going, man, look at the valley where we started. It's way back there. I think that'll, that'll give you the right perspective to kind of move forward and, and just, just smile while you do it. I mean, that's, that's my approach. I mean, people say it and you hear it and they think it's, you know, it can't be that simple. It really is the journey. It's not the destination. Because as soon as we get that mountaintop, we start looking around for the next big mountain. All right, so this made me think of something. Have you ever fired a friend? Interesting. Like, they worked here and then I fired them? No, no, like them, break or? up with a friend. Uh, oh, so meaning I hung out with someone, I was really good friends with them, and then I just stopped? Correct. Or actually or phased out, out phased either out. way. Yeah, uh, yeah 100%. One thing that comes with maturity on some level, and I'm not saying I'm the most mature person in the world here, but one thing that comes with that is realizing that you get to choose your friends Hmm. and you get to choose the people you hang out with. I think when you're early in life, you're kind of forced into, hey, you have to go to this class of people. Then you're like in these classes and then it's like, you know, hey, this person I'm in the dorm room with. And, and everything's based on proximity. And then when you graduate, everyone scatters. And you're like, oh, no, like I'm just going to keep that proximity thing going. But you don't have the density that you once did. And then all of a sudden, you either just keep the friends that are going forever um, or you put yourself into a position where it's like, oh, I can choose my friends. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really important thing. You know, I'm, I'm not a big drinker. I'm not a big like partier. Like I don't mind going occasionally. But there's been friends where... Like literally it was like, that's their thing. Every night we're doing that. And it's just not me. And I was judged for it, like not being a part of that activity or they thought I thought I was better than them. And that's not what it was at all. But it was, it was just one of those things where I was like, this just isn't good for me. Um, I have had an actual breakup, like friend breakup, which was really weird. Uh, But it was just one of those things when you have some toxicity and people are like, well, why don't you want to hang out anymore? Why don't you want to like be roommates anymore? And it's just, you have to have that conversation. I think that's part of growing up is having those tough conversations and realizing you can choose your friends and you want to surround yourself with the right people that are going to help you. And as long as you're being authentic about it and you're not being like, I would say uppity, I guess is the right way to put it. You're actually doing it for the right reasons. I I think it's totally fine. I think that makes sense. Something Dan said that really resonated with me was like, are you hanging out with the type of people supporting your past or your future? I know that's so powerful. Right. That, that hit me. Cause I, cause I think you're right. It's so easy to fall into the the clutch of like just proximity, but over time you, your your time is valuable and and you have to be more, I think, intentional about your relationships. Well, and I think that, I mean, this applies to companies as well, right? Like, are you hiring the team that supports the future or the past? And that's a really powerful thing to think about because no one's saying any of this is easy. Hiring the right people, um, you know, having the right friends, having the right peers, the right mentors. But it's about being intentional. Mm-hmm. That's what I love about Dan and all of his systems. He's got a system for everything, which I think is really, really cool. And I think it's just one of those things where you're evaluating, you know, where are priorities going? Where are you spending your time? You know, even keeping in mind that whole you're the average of the five people you hang out with the most, all that kind of fun stuff. And I think it's just making sure that you are you know, upscaling and bringing those people along, right? This isn't to say like, hey, we're going to get new friends every five years, but it is to more say of like, hey, like make sure that people are helping support you, even if they're that friend for 20, 30 years, that 
you know, they're not necessarily going to help you your business, but they're always going to keep you, you know, rooted and they're always going to, you know, keep, keep you loyal and all that kind of fun stuff. And I think that's, that's the biggest thing is that you have a choice when it comes to people. Um, and you have a choice in how you perceive those people as well. All right. So takeaways from today. What do you think, man? Got to stay authentic. Despite, authentic. Uh, which is ironic, <laughs> like staying authentic feels inauthentic. It's one of those <laughs> right. tautological situations. No, totally. Yeah, but yeah. but I, as I have a renewed sense of, I think, being intentional about my relationships, I think, uh, especially in this SaaS and tech world we live in, um, stay true to ourselves and, and stay true to who we are. Every time I listen to Dan Martell, it fires me up. I think it's because he's so passionate and so centered on certain aspects and just so it's, it's a non-boisterous confidence of just hey, this is what you need to do. And it's almost like telling you like it is. And so my biggest takeaway here is, you know, it, it's all about people. And when it comes to people, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to to have that anxiety. And it's okay to find your way to build those relationships. Right. It doesn't have to be going to conferences. It doesn't have to be doing one-on-ones. It doesn't have to be doing dinners. It could be, you know, chat rooms that you sign into. It could be on tour where you actually don't know the identity of the other person, but mm-hmm. you build that relationship with them. It's about finding finding that tribe in some particular way. And making sure that you're being authentic with that tribe, which is so, so difficult. Totally. I think the other thing for me is like constantly paying it forward and finding a way to, to help others in the community, right? Yeah. If you're not a Dan, you're a Brian. Yeah. Bring back that metaphor there. Awesome. Well, that's all for this week of Protect the Hustle. I'm Patrick Campbell. This is Neil Desai. And if you enjoyed this episode, you got value from it, make sure you're signed up at protectthehustle.com. And we'll see you next week. This has been a Recurse Studios production, the fastest growing subscription network out there. If you find use for this show, subscribe for more like it at profitwell.com slash recur.